The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. You know, you got to beat somebody, so beat me if you can. I earn my Uh, these guys don't want to fight me, but uh, they have no choice when I'm right there next to them. So. Tony El Kukui Ferguson. Welcome to UFC Unfiltered. Please tell me that's on video. I've never been happier. I'm made for a fucking podcast. It's dangerous. <laughs> All right, welcome to UFC Unfiltered. As you can see, Matt, although I don't know who's listening and who's watching, um, Matt is uh, away with Dana. That's always a good excuse when you don't have to be at work because you're out with the boss. But uh, TJ DeSantis, thanks for, uh, for joining, man. We're very happy you were able to do it today. That's my pleasure, Jim. Um, you know, a couple weeks ago on, on my show, Extra Rounds, that I do for Fight Pass, someone called me a poor man's Matt Sarah. And <laughs> I, I didn't know if that was like an insult or a compliment. I mean, he's a former UFC welterweight champion. I've never done anything significant with my life. So it's pretty much a compliment. But apparently it's a job qualification because it landed me here. You know, yeah. And being a poor man's, and you, you never know if that's meant good or bad. I guess it all depends on how that person feels about Matt Sarah. Like if they love Matt Sarah, dude, you're a poor man's Matt Sarah. That's like, hey, you're great. But if they hate Matt Sarah, that is it. it bodes Who poorly. hates Matt Sarah? Um, Anybody? You know, not even GSP. No. We had him on recently. He loves Matt Sarah. Everyone loves Matt Sarah. Yeah, how can you not? And, and Matt, you know, going down to Houston, those are familiar stomping grounds for him because the Toyota Center is where he beat George St. Pierre. So I hope uh, Matt Sarah, you know, indulges in nostalgia a little bit because he's in a good place for it. He does. Yeah. And Matt is, um, I don't know how well you know him, but he really is the most genuine guy I know. I, I don't yeah. think there's another guy who is exactly the same on and off the microphone. He's the same guy. Like there's right. no different. You meet Matt. He's exactly the same as he is on the show. Um, and you're very involved. You, how long have you been broadcasting? 16 years. I was reading up about you about 16 years. You've been doing it. Uh, 22 oh, actually, 22. Uh, oh, which is not bad. Yeah. Which is not bad for uh, a 37 year old. Um, oh. I got involved at a local FM station when I was 15 and uh, have never had a job that didn't involve a microphone. And I'm not being cute by saying, like, I work the drive-thru, so that counts. No, yeah. I've never done anything <laughs> other than broadcasting. 
Wow. That's, that's amazing. I mean, there's very few people that actually kind of purely go through entertainment being only like I had job before I did stand up. I, I was like for four or five years, I had like retail shit jobs, forklift operator, but man, you went right into it. What kind of station was it? What, what kind of music were they playing? Active rock. So it was like disturbed and uh, Godsmack and things like just terrible, terrible stuff. I like those bands. You know, it's funny. I was just watching uh, Dave Draymond singing. He did a great cover of uh, Sounds of Silence. Have you yeah. heard that cover he did? I was yeah. watching his Conan version of that. I was like, fuck, that's a really good version. I'm happy that you kind of actually say you like the music because I adore the music, um, yeah. but everyone just gives me so much crap for it. Um, I, I mean, I understand. Like, I like the classics. I like, you know, all sorts of music. But when I tell everyone that my entry into radio was those bands, man, the, the amount of hell I'm given is, is not fun. Well, Godsmack, I mean, you know, Sully is an amazing voice. Uh, they were a good band and, and Disturbed was very heavy. Um, oh, yeah. But Dave has a great voice. Like, you know, there's no disgrace in either of those bands. Like both of those bands earn the fact that they're really, really famous. 100%. You mentioned Sully. I'll never forget meeting him for the first time because he's this, this big rock icon of, of the yeah. time. And uh, he, he, for whatever reason, like had his motorcycle on tour with him and the handlebars were taller than he was. And I was like, okay, so these guys are not necessarily as big as I think they are in my head. Yeah, he's this small guy with a really, really powerful voice. And I've known him for many years. And, and I met him the first time I met him. I used to open for Andrew Dice Clay. And we were in, um, I believe, Andover, Massachusetts. And uh, Sully came to the show. And, of course, I knew who he was and I wanted to meet him. But Dice, you know, I love Dice because he just never cares. Like, who's right. in the, oh, who is it? Like, you know, Tiger Woods was at a show we did one time. And Dice didn't even want to wait in the dressing room to see if Tiger came. He just doesn't give a fuck. He's the best. But uh, they, that was how I met Sully. He was a big comedy fan, a big Dice fan. And he came to a show. He's really down to earth. Isn't it nice when you meet guys like that and they're like as down to earth as you kind of want them to be? Yeah, no, 100%, because like you want to believe that these guys that you kind of look up to and admire and, and appreciate their work would be the type of person that would just hang out and have a beer with you. And, and yeah. Sully's that guy. I think that's partially to why UFC is so like, I don't even watch other sports anymore. I mean, I did. I watched baseball, football, sure, some NBA, but like after interviewing so many fighters, like you're just on, on my radio, on the morning radio show before even doing this, like, I like the, these guys, like none of them are dicks. Like I yeah, haven't no. had one dick. They're all good guys. 100%. And I think that's one thing that has been sort of missing from the sport with, with COVID is, you know, the ability to interact with these athletes as well. There's not another sport that you're going to be able to go to an event and then maybe go back to the hotel and literally hang out with someone for hours. You get that with the UFC athletes. And uh, I'm, I'm just happy things are getting closer to normal because that experience, that fan experience uh, is one that I think is sorely missed. And uh, we're finally getting to it. Yeah. Who is the first? Do you remember the first fighter you interviewed? Uh, Quentin Rampage Jackson. Wow. Yeah, he was in my first few. I think Liddell for me was the first one. I think Chuck might have been the first one. But yeah, Quentin was uh, he was really funny, too. He was a very funny interview, Rampage. Yeah, I uh, actually got his phone number from the, the forums. He put his uh, phone number online because he got a free phone from his, his phone company that had free incoming calls. And uh, I just started a podcast at the time. A podcast wasn't even a word. It was like 2004. Right. And oh, wow. uh, I, I called him and uh, he said, hello. And I promptly hung up because <laughs> that was actually Quentin Jackson on the line. Yeah. And I wasn't expecting that, to be honest with you. And then he called me back and uh, called me an asshole on my voicemail. So I waited two weeks. <laughs> I called him back again and set up the interview. Uh, thankfully, he forgot that I called and uh, basically hung up on him. 
Oh, that's great. Have you ever reminded him of that? Oh, every time. Oh, every you time. do? Okay. Yeah, it's funny. Wow, podcasting since 2005. I remember uh, the radio show I'm on in the morning came back on. We had gotten kicked off. We came back on in, in 2004. And I remember the first podcast, Mark Marin used mm -hmm. to use our studio sometimes, like in 2006 or seven, when he was really, when WTF was in its kind of infancy, and he would just come in and use the, uh, the Sirius Studios. But I don't even think I knew much of what podcasting was. Oh, it was a dirty word for me. Like when people said, oh, can you get your show on podcast? I'm like, first of all, I don't know what that means. I do an internet radio show, and I was working on the FM at the time. Um, but like when I heard the term podcast, I mean, you know, we're talking about Mark, you know, I think of people working in the garage. And I'm like this little entitled, you know, 21 year old kid who's worked in radio for the better part of six years. I'm like, I'm a professional. I don't do podcasting. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I later quit a full time gig in a major market to do podcasting in my garage. Well, it's so it's so funny because like now when I'm on the road doing radio shows, they'll always go. Can you stick around and do our podcast too, like CBS Radio or Cumulus or any of those guys? They right. always, their, their shows have podcasts where for a long time we didn't want to promote them. And yeah. now when you do regular radio, you're like, fuck, man, like it's so chopped down and emasculated, and not fun compared yep. to what this is. Um, just talking like we can have a conversation. Tony Ferguson's our first guest. We should probably say we have also right. uh, Michael Chandler on the show. And uh, who, who are those guys? I mean, this is a big week to talk to them. It, it really is. Um, you know, and Tony Ferguson, I think, has been around for a little while. Uh, I'm interested to see what his mindset is after losing two fights in a row because uh, that you never thought you'd see that happen. Um, and then when it happens, I always wonder, do guys get psyched out or do they just, you know, like you look at like Cowboys on a, a bit of a streak, unfortunately, right. You know, a, a bad run. And it's like, does that psych these guys out? Do they not uh, feel confident or do they shake it off? Like in did. I mean, I, I think that Aunt, uh, Tony Ferguson is, is among very short list of fighters that I don't know if he can be rattled. Honestly, I don't know if it can be rattled. He's he's impervious to all that stuff. He's he's uh, a different breed in all the right ways. You know, I, I you're right. And there are guys that you get the like there's certain guys that are so good at like Connor so good at the mic and he's so good at making opponent. Like I remember the Alvarez Connor fight. I was at that fight and you know, Eddie was the champion and we were in Madison Square Garden, which is 90 minutes from Philly, but it still felt like Connor's home fight because of all right. the Irish fans. And when Eddie came in, I remember thinking like he looked uncomfortable with the moment. And again, I'm not speaking for Eddie Alvarez, but he looked sure. a little rattled by the magnitude of the moment. Um, and there's some guys that just don't seem to Nate Diaz is like that. Like Nate mm. Diaz doesn't seem like you, you could fucking start a fire in the cage. And I don't think he'd care. He's no. one of those guys that just doesn't seem you, you can't rattle Nate Diaz. Yeah, no. And, and that I think is what needs to uh, be present in any top shelf mixed martial artist. I remember uh, a guy named Carl Parisian. Uh, he, he had some some issues uh, later in his career with with anxiety. And one thing that really stuck out to me was he talked about going out there and competing. He said, you know, it's not the fight that I'm worried about. It's going out there in front of, you know, 15,000 fans in fighting someone in my underwear. And I was like, I never thought about this. This is a good looking dude too. You know what I yeah, mean? Like, yeah. he, he's not flabby like I am. Uh, and he's like he's somewhat body conscious. And it's like, wow, you're going through this really intense moment for, you know, your, your family and your fighting career. And you don't like the fact that you're taking your shirt off. Like that's, that's crazy. But little things like that can bother people. They, they can. And you wouldn't think it would bother a guy in MMA shape, right? Like, uh, if I have my shirt off, people wonder why 
I'm not uncomfortable. Like they're like, you shouldn't feel good with your tits hanging out, Jim. But I'm like, yeah, I'm all right with it. How a fighter is not feeling good about himself. Doesn't that, doesn't that give you hope though? You're like, fuck it. If he can feel bad about himself, right. that yeah, right. 100%, I'm not so crazy. Like you're human. You're human. So like, I'm maybe, maybe one day I can, uh, you know, feel better and be confident and come off like you do, because apparently you're not as uh, confident as, as everyone thinks all the time. Yeah. And I, I've actually never heard that. I, I mean, I've heard of guys like we've talked to uh, Uriah Hall. I like a lot. He's, he's a very, very honest guy and he's very, uh, you know, forthcoming in his emotions. And he talks about being scared or feeling certain ways about hurting people. Like I think everybody I'm sure gets afraid walking in, but a lot of guys don't talk about that. And maybe I wouldn't either if I was a fighter, I can't say I understand the psychology of a fighter, but a lot of those guys, guys don't like to talk about the angle of being afraid going into the cage. Yeah, I, you know, I, I tend to finally have that conversation with athletes after they've retired and they almost all say the same thing. Like they were never supremely confident for a, a fight to the point where they didn't feel nerves. And uh, the ones that say that they didn't feel nerves, they actually say that was the reason they may have lost that in particular fight. They say they were too comfortable. They didn't get that uh, feeling. A guy named Paul Buntello fought for UFC heavyweight championship. He threw up every single pro fight he ever had, which was like wow. over 30, thrown up in the back. And he's like, if I didn't puke, I, I knew something was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And, and puking sometimes just evacuates everything. Although you feel bad if somebody's on the floor with them, they were in a clinch and he's fucking breathing in your face. I guess right. that's a less pleasant. Uh, have you ever trained? I, I, I trained with, uh, the, I, you know, Caitlin Chikagian was telling me I should train. I finally did. I live in the city and I started taking uh, kickboxing with uh, uh, Jimmy Rivera's place and then COVID hit. Um, mm. but I really miss it and want to go back to doing it. Have you ever trained? Yeah, I uh in in 2003, late 2003, uh my love for mixed martial arts was just insane. Um and I ended up in an MMA gym. Uh and I say gym loosely, it was a it was a garage where a bunch yeah. of dudes trained. Uh some of those dudes made it to the UFC though. Um but uh, I wanted to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but at $150 a month on a part-time FM disc jockey salary, that wasn't happening. So I found this uh, MMA gym that allowed me to train for free and essentially you help out, you you know drive and do security at events. Uh, I, I did that for the better part of three years. Uh, loved it. I will never, ever go back and do it again. I uh, don't have an ACL in my right knee. Uh, you know, I'm approaching 40. Uh, I like to talk about fighting. I like to be involved uh, where I'm at now, but yet, never will I step on the mat again. It's funny. Matt's got bad knees too. Like he said, like we walk, uh, at least when we were in studio, a lot of times we would walk after and he really walks very ginger and slow, but he said he can roll. It doesn't affect his rolling at all. Yeah. But, it, but walking, he's fucked up. No, it's, it's interesting. Um, Jiu-jitsu is, is incredibly hard on the body, but I think it's also a martial art that allows you to practice it. You know, I mean, Elio Gracie rolled into his 90s. I mean, not hard, but, you know, he's 90 years old and, and still getting on the mat. And um, of all the martial arts, I would say Brazilian jiu-jitsu, uh, it's as much uh, rehabilitatory. Is that the word? Like if you want to rehab a little bit, you can, yeah. you can be active while also kind of being broken. How uh, I'm really looking forward to this card. I didn't go to Jacksonville. I'm not going to this one. I hopefully we'll go to the next live because uh, I really miss like you. I didn't realize how much I missed the fans. Oh, yeah. Until Bruce Buffer started. Uh, you know, we are live. I think it was on the on the fight pass prelims and fucking yeah. people went crazy. So like, fuck, I really does change the dynamic. How, how loud was it? it? Like, I felt like my television was broken. Yeah. It was so loud after watching all these fights in the apex is like, have people always been this insane? Yeah. 
But the apex, you know, it's funny, man. I got used to that pretty fast too. And it yeah. didn't affect any of the excitement I had for the fights. Like you're still watching two guys that you wanted to see fight, fight. Uh, so it didn't change any of that for me. It's just, I forgot how much I missed the fans. It, to me, it was, it was awkward in a way that uh, was sort of refreshing and new. Uh, in the apex, you could hear everything. And, and I, I loved hearing the, the corners, but like when you hear body shots and, and kicks to the, the abdomen, that is like, it's a stark reminder that this is as real as it gets. It's not just a tagline. Like this is pretty serious business. Yeah, one of my favorite sounds is when Ovin St. Pru will drive that left leg into somebody's. Very few people have as beautiful uh, a body kick as he does. Uh, maybe I just like the way it sounds, but it's like getting hit with a baseball bat. And you're right, a big, a big, thick body kick uh, sounds real, or leg kicks that you can hear. When you can hear leg kicks when there's fans, you know that somebody's getting the shit kicked out of their leg. 100%. Uh, you know, I, I call fights as well uh, for a variety of promotions uh, on Fight Pass. And the, the first time I'll ever like think about hearing something that made me uncomfortable was someone ate a knee and it sounded like a watermelon. And it was just it was grotesque in this visceral and violent yet beautiful way in a, in a manner. And, you know, the, the, the fighter that took that knee ended up winning a decision like they they kept going. But it's just like. Yeah, the human body is pretty remarkable in what it can and can't do. Yeah, and there was there was another there was a head kick knockout. Now, and I don't remember who. Uh, my memory is just awful. But there was a head kick knockout where sometimes the announcers will just go, "Let's just replay that in full." Like oh, they yeah. want to replay it, and you can you can you can hear it. Um, I just don't remember who did it. And I don't remember who called for it. But I, I, if you can call fights, dude, that's such a hard thing to do MMA to be able to I, I mean I couldn't call a fucking baseball game and nothing happens I, I don't know how you right. can actually uh, do commentary on an MMA fight there's just so much knowledge you need and, and, and so much anticipation of what they're trying to do that's a tough sport to, to call yeah, I think uh, you, you might find it easier than you think in a certain manner, because uh, at least my style, I lean heavily on my color commentator. I think of it as like a sightseeing tour where I'm the bus driver. And don't get me wrong. Like if I screw up my job, we, we might all die. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> you never remember the bus driver in a sightseeing tour. You remember the tour guide. And uh, that that's my sort of analogy with it. I'm not there to, you know, be the X's and O's guys. I'm here to say the tale of the tapes, you know, brought to you by Venom. Or whatever, and uh, you know, just just get where we need to go, and and try not to like. I feel like a good play by play guy is like a umpire in baseball. If they did their job well, you don't remember them, but if they didn't do their job well, you hate that guy. You hate that guy, and you and you do remember it, yeah. But I'm telling, you, I I think that uh, MMA is just so much harder because again, there's so much explaining of of, of jujitsu. Like Matt is really fucking good at talking. Like he can talk through jujitsu. Yep in hindsight and make it interesting. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and obviously Rogan can do that. And there's guys that can just talk you through these complex moves and what they're trying to do. And, you know, when somebody is anticipating, uh, you know, what somebody is about to do and then they wind up doing it, it's, it's just a really difficult, you have to be hyper aware. Again, baseball, you could probably, you could literally probably fucking text your girlfriend while you're calling the game and nobody would know. I'm sure they are. I mean, I, I now <laughs> after watching that Brock Meyer show, like I think everyone is Hank Azaria. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's, no, it's, a, it. it's, it's a phenomenal sort of uh, satirical um, sitcom where uh, Hank Azaria plays a minor league uh, baseball play by play man and is just getting hammered and partying all the time. It's it's ridiculous and funny. But um, yeah, no, I, I absolutely love doing play by play. It's the uh, blending of, of multiple worlds for me, you know, broadcasting, mixed martial arts, but also just improv, improv, 
I, you know, if we were on the air right now, yeah. like uh, I'd probably find it in the booth, but here on Unfiltered, I don't know Improv. how to say improvisation. There yeah, we yeah. go. Um, but yeah, no, I uh, I thoroughly uh, adore it. But that's a problem, though. If you're a play-by-play guy, you might find yourself getting a little too technical and no one wants me to say how someone should finish an arm bar because I don't really know how. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't either. I, I'm just, I'm amazed that anybody can do it. And, and, and I've interviewed a lot of guys like before I even had this uh, gig. And I can remember the first I used to ask the guys to put me in certain moves or to show me, but they wouldn't do it hard. Right. But just to get the feeling of what it was like. And I think BJ was the first guy just I said, what does armbar feel like? Like, like and he did it gently. But mm-hmm. I mean, you could I didn't realize it pulled you in two directions. Like it's, yeah. it's fucking horrible when you're putting an armbar. Um, so you just you have that much more respect for these guys who are like literally dealing with that with someone who's trying to rip their arm off. No, 100 percent. And one thing that I think people don't really understand, too, when it comes to jujitsu is is what a choke is and what a choke isn't. Um, you know, the, there's a blood choke, which it, a blood choke is is terrifying because I remember the first time I ever trained uh, the the coach was like teaching the class how to uh, basically effectively put pressure on the bottom player from side control. And uh, he was leaning on my, my neck with his, his elbow and his forearm. And I'm like, okay, don't, don't be a pussy here. Like, hold on, don't tap out. Like he's not even doing a submission on you. You can't tap out. And then I woke up. Oh, apparently, wow. apparently he choked me out by accident. And uh, I mean, I could breathe the whole time, but you know, when your brain doesn't get that blood, you go to sleep. Yeah. I, I like, I once in a while I'll go through, I mean, I follow Henzo on uh on Instagram and I'll look through his and he's another guy. It's just so interesting to watch someone who's that good at something walk you through. uh, And, you know, I'm sure you've met him. His energy is so intense. Uh, And you also know that if you step out of line, he'll fucking throw you through a glass door. That's the beauty of Henzo. Like you don't have that. He's a professional and I'm an amateur safety. It's like Tyson. Well, you know, if you step out of line, you're probably gonna get fucking, you know, punched in the mouth. It's funny you mentioned, you know, Matt being, you know, who he is on and off the air. He's just Matt. Henzo's the same way. And, you know, no surprise that they uh, trained together back in the day. But uh, I find uh, Henzo to be one of the most refreshing personalities uh, in MMA and in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. One thing you talk about, you know, breaking things down. Uh, have you seen the the Joe Rogan uh, clip with John Danaher breaking down a Gordon Ryan uh, fight? Like the way Danaher breaks stuff down, like they're pausing it like every four and a half seconds. And Danaher just goes so deep on the the technique and the levels of of what's happening it's just like man i couldn't make that stuff up if i tried like what he's uh thinking and seeing and utilizing and teaching is just unbelievable yeah no i didn't it's funny i don't really watch anything um like even even if i'm on a podcast i don't watch it uh i'm like a clip guy like i watch a quick clip yeah that's how i saw this oh clip yeah yeah, he's like uh, apparently he's a big he's like a leg lock uh, expert. Uh, Danaher likes uh, likes damaging legs, and that's that's uh, Matt always talks about his what a specialist he is on legs. Yeah, I mean he's also a specialist wearing that rash guard wherever he goes. Like, I mean, you want to talk about confidence? John Danaher has got some confidence to wear a rash guard everywhere. Yeah, uh, I have one that I would wear in the gym, just doing regular workouts because it help you. Like, I thought it maybe would help me uh, sweat more. Right. But, um, I, I always wear a hoodie over it. Like just, you know, I, I could never wear it with except my fucking side blubber hanging over. It just oh, looks hideous. You, you'll realize how uh, bad you look when you put on a, a, a rash guard. The only time I wear a rash guard now is uh, it's like it's called a, a slimming shirt. So when I do commentary, I try to look a little leaner. So I put on a oh. I mean, essentially, it's a rash guard that's 17 sizes too small to make me look like uh, I work out and care about my personal image. But clearly, and, and, and we not. wear it under another shirt. 
Yeah, yeah. It's uh yeah, so like I wear it under like a, a t-shirt and then a dress shirt over the top of that. I'm uh I'm really this 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 card this weekend, I kind of wish I mean I kind of wish I really wish I was I was going to it. Um Chandler, I mean his second fight in the UFC. But I mean he came in as this highly uh I mean some guys just come in and ha- like yeah. Ben Askren had a very tough time and Justin Gaethje, you know, is like one of the most popular fighters in the UFCs. I guess it all depends on that first fight. What no, happens 100%. in that first fight? I mean, first impressions are everything, too. You know what I mean? And uh, for, for Chandler, he's got the credentials. Uh, he holds uh, wins over multiple UFC champions. Uh, you know, Eddie Alvarez, he beat uh, beat Benson Henderson twice. Uh, taking out Dan Hooker the way that he did was just unbelievable and uh we'll see what happens if he's able to capture this this title uh in just his second ufc fight like i i don't want to put the the cart before the horse but we're going to be talking about michael chandler being a potential future ufc hall of famer if he is able to get this win and add a couple title defenses because he's one of the greatest lightweights of all time yeah it, it is it is really the uh the knocking him out in the first round but with punch like nobody saw that coming it's like you know i don't know why everybody's surprised that usman knocked out Masvidal but I mean like you know these guys all hit hard like we're, yeah. I guess when you expect someone to wrestle or you expect someone to go to the ground we're surprised when you realize oh no they can still punch a hole through somebody um and maybe maybe the guy fighting him maybe Hooker wasn't ready for that maybe Hooker was uh not uh worried about his power and was only trying to worry about getting a, a shot for takedowns I, I don't know but uh, that was a shock I think the strategy with someone like Michael Chandler, and, and we'll see if Dubronch is able to employ this on Saturdays, you got to get him into deeper waters. You got to try to test uh, Chandler's cardio. Um, you know, I, I got to believe with someone like Michael, you know, he's he's been in war. So, you know, durability is also uh, a question. We saw what happened. Uh, he had dropped foot in one of his uh, previous fights. Um, yes. You know, the, the leg kicks are going to be a point of emphasis, I think, for uh, Charles Oliveira. The later this fight goes, the more likely it is for the Brazilian to get his hand raised. But uh, I don't want to be messing with Michael Chandler in any facet of the game in the first 10 minutes. How how uh, common is that drop foot? I mean, it was it Jimmy Crute, I yeah. think, just got one, and Sean O'Malley uh, against uh, Vera. I mean, it's something I have I've only seen more of lately. I, I can't remember having seen that in prior years. Maybe they're kicking more uh, lower lower leg kicks. I don't know, but I haven't seen that in previous years, or maybe I just did, overlooked it. No, I, it's not as prevalent. I mean, maybe it's happened on, you know, the, the smaller show somewhere, but I highly doubt it. Um, you know, this is an advanced uh, sort of technique that has really come to fruition over the last three, four years, this low calf kick. And uh, that's what's great about MMA, like the uh, evolution evolutionary process is is one that we'll go 25 plus years without seeing something and then all of a sudden we see multiple you know leg injuries with that same sort of drop foot action you know four times in nine cards and and it took 25 years before we even got to that so it's like i don't know what it is i don't know if there's something in the water or if guys are just understanding uh leg kicks better but i mean i I literally had someone write into the show that i do suggesting that we get rid of leg kicks that leg kick should be an illegal tactic and i'm like what what are you talking about? Why? Because Why? They, they're great. They, yeah, I mean, if you're so you know good at it, if you're able to pull it off the way uh, that we've seen some of these high-level athletes, it almost does seem unfair. But it's a technique that is honed and only owned by a handful of guys to be uh, as efficient as they are with it. Yeah, some guys are so great. Like, and I, I wondered for a long time, why did Aldo, it seemed like he went almost purely to boxing. Yeah. Uh, so maybe he had an injury or maybe he was afraid of... Uh, afraid of a re-injuring something but the guys like that like watching what he did in that uriah faber fight uh where his leg again he looked like he'd been attacked with a bat 
or uh, Edson Barboza. Like, there's very few guys. Somebody, like, I, I think leg kicks are my favorite thing to watch in the because it just seems like such a shit way to get hit, and yeah. it's such a way you're not used to seeing from like professional boxing. Um, I, I think that's my favorite thing to watch are leg kicks. I mean, if you throw a kick in a street fight, people are gonna like start calling you out for it, like it's a something that you shouldn't do, like yeah. it's not a manly technique. And it's like, no, I'm pretty sure it's the manliest of all techniques in a roundabout way. Because if you're able to kick someone's lead leg or you know make them have that drop foot. It's it's like adding insult to injury as well. I remember this this judge like 15 years ago said low kicks don't win fights. And that's why I don't uh, score them uh, essentially when turning in rounds. And it's like, man, th- that guy would be driven out of the sport if he weren't out of it already. Yeah, because they certainly do. I mean, I, I don't uh, I can't think of anything I like more than watching. And, and I don't mean obviously the way that Chris got hurt against your right sure. But I mean, like just watching a guy succumb to leg kicks um, yeah. Because again, it's one of those things that you just almost never see. And it's funny, we have Tony Ferguson coming in now, and he dealt with Justin Gaethje, who is uh, really better at that than most guys in the UFC throwing those uh, those uh, low leg kicks. You think you know Rose Namajunas? Rose lost her first title fight, flat out lost. But right then and there, she made a decision. To stop just fighting and start believing she would become a champion. And look who's number one now. Guaranteed Rate is a mortgage lender who understands the power of belief. Because if you believe, you will. Equal housing lender. Subject to credit approval. Restrictions apply. Company NMLS ID 2611. NMLS org. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Hey, what's up, Tony? How are you? What's up, buddy? How you doing? Uh, you're in Houston, and uh, I was watching a, a video of you doing a run in the parking lot at one o'clock in the morning. Is that something you do just to get rid of your energy, or do you like to be totally unpredictable, even to yourself? What are you talking about, man? That's not unpredictable. That's Olympic mentality. I don't know if anybody's ever competed at that kind of high level where people are used to it, but this whole entire camp, what I did is I took an Olympic mentality. I've always said varsity mentality and everybody thinks it's uncontrolled or unpredictable, but everything is really structured. Everybody forgets that I'm a national champ and I was a captain of a two-time national championship team and I was a state champ and I was a football captain and when we were state champions for football and I was very coachable and we were actually went to state semis for baseball and um, I went to school for probably like seven or eight years actually for, you know, a couple of different things in hospitality management, criminal justice and nursing and physical therapy everybody thinks that everything is like very um, 
I guess you would say very unorthodox and stuff, but I'm like, man, you guys think that this shit's so random. Nobody pays attention to your gait. Nobody pays attention to how much that you, you know, the weight loss or the conditioning or the factors or the sensations in the feet of the neuros or the synapses and building and bridging those and making sure that those are built quicker. Now, when we're doing those sprints at night, it's getting acclimated. Now, it doesn't matter when you get there early or late, but acclimation is very, very important. Now, sprints or not sprints is some of the best ways to be able to get acclimated right away. So, yeah, I do it once I get here. Uh, and criminal justice, you mentioned. Uh, did you want to be a lawyer at one point or, or what did you want to do? I don't know. I was being a cop. I was thinking about that. So I went to PT to be a PT, but they needed a doctor at that year. So it was kind of a funny one. So I ended up bartending. <laughs> oh, okay. Do you, do you think you would have been a good cop? Yeah, for sure, dog. Maybe, possibly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you pick. You picked a, I probably a, a profession that's uh, as risky. How How are you feeling? Uh, um, uh, TJ and I were just talking before you came on. Uh, you haven't lost too straight. Uh, this is the first time, and 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 you said you were becoming predictable, which I, I I don't think you were. But what did you mean by that? And how do you think you fixed that? Um, I don't know if I said I was being predictable. I think or one dimensional. Else, the, the, the one dimensional was surrounding myself around people that haven't had that mentality to compete at such a high level of an Olympic. Now, when pandemic hit, everybody showed their true colors and ended up bailing out. And they ended up having to look after their own, which is obviously cool. I get that. When the pandemic hit, I had to take everything that, you know, my title and put it on the line to get the sports back. We'll get back on. And that was a big risk that I was willing to do because, you know, it felt like God was testing me. So I answered the phone and, you know, he never puts enough on our plate. He always puts just enough so we can handle it. And I asked for more. I wanted to make sure that I could take all these punches and demonstrate as a human race that we're going to be able to keep moving forward. And in that Gaethje fight, we prepared for a grappler. And then same thing with the Landon fight and a lot of the other fights. So the way that promotions work and the matchmakers work and how everything goes, it's very tricky. So, I mean, we could sit here and dissect it. But the one dimensionality about it is not letting your area surroundings affect you. Now, when my coaches and everybody bailed out and they had to worry about all their other stuff, I had to put a team together. And when I put my team together, I had one person in the back that actually contradicted everything that I said in my camp. So I had to 86 everybody again. And when I put a team together, I went on a 12-fight win streak, but that took a year and a half. And I put a team together in three weeks. Now, this time, I put together a good team. I got a couple of people that are key factors for my 10th planet jiu-jitsu, and I got a couple of key factors for my uh, college wrestling team, my coach, and even an added in wildcard boxing. I surrounded myself around people who were hungry, who were elite, who were, who were on that level that I am at, but actually doing the same thing that I'm doing at a high level, which is an Olympic mentality. And that's in a lot where you get in the boxing gym. I would go to these MMA gyms and I would get really lazy because I would pick up bad habits. I would fucking get lazy. I would take a knee inside the gym or, you know, you walk around, scratch your balls, you're looking at the TV and you're fucking talking shit about the weekend or, you know, like all the bullshit. I don't do that. I was a captain of a team. I had to go and I had to make sure that everybody's making sure that they're making the grade, they can play and they're showing up and making weight. And if they're not making weight, then you had to encourage them to help them and you had to do that. That was my responsibility. I don't have to take care of that anymore. I don't have to make sure that people aren't going to lose their houses. I don't have to make sure they're going to keep on to their gyms. I don't have to make sure they're going to fucking do anything anymore because the pandemic is not here. We already went through that shit. I'm tired of, I, I don't have to look after anybody anymore. I did that. I'm looking after myself because the last time I did that, I got hit a lot. And I don't like to get hit. I used to not get hit. I started talking to Coach Brock again. 
And I started talking to Coach Marty Morgan. I started talking to Coach Greg Nelson and Coach Eric Paulson. And these are my coaches. And Coach Rodrigo Comprito, who's my jiu-jitsu coach on the show. And Matt Hughes was actually my coach too. And nobody forget. everybody forgets all that. So I kept in contact with all my coaches. And I'm going to be real. We've been delegating everything that we need to do to make sure that this guy's going to get his he's going to get it this weekend oh, okay hey tony I'm, I'm curious you talk about this level of intensity that that you have this olympic mindset when did that start i assume this has always been in you as a competitor and as a person it was yeah it's always been there but uh, you know my dad even said my, my dad you know pops my stepdad usually you know he said straight up he was like you're a wrestler that's your first sport everybody forgets that and even i went to the boxing gym and everybody's like Man, your striking is really good. And, you know, your boxing is really good. I know, dude. It's when I work at it, when I hit the bags and I, and I put the time in, I put the rounds. And they're like, well, how'd you learn? I learned on the bags. But I was like, hey, they're like, so what's your first sport? And I said, wrestling. They're like, what? Yeah, dude. I, I'm a national champ. I was like, I'm a state champ. And uh, I put in many work in freestyle wrestling too. And I've gotten to the point where I, when I hit up Coach Brock and Marty Morgan, Marty Morgan told me on the show, did you, we were drilling. and he said, we're going to do takedowns. And I thought, he said, you know, let him take you down. I thought we were drilling. He said, Tony, did you let him take you down? I said, yeah. Don't you ever let anybody fucking take you down again. And I talked to Coach Marty and I told him after that fight, because immediately after the old verify, my arm was still kind of compromised and stuff, but I went back and I hit pads right afterwards because we didn't get ready the way we needed to. We went out there and I trusted my team to get me ready and it just didn't happen. You know, nothing, no disrespect on it, but it was just, they were too green. When it come down to it, this time what I did is I surrounded myself around people and how you say that mentality, it looks like it's different now. It, it's not different. What it is, is I had to find it again. It was always there, but somewhere along the line, I got lazy and I picked up a lot of bad habits from people and it was a bad thing. So what I did is I stopped hanging around people who were toxic. I detoxified my life. I challenged myself and I asked God to put more on my plate than he could have ever did. Last year, I was the most successful fucking person in the fight world, even though I even lost twice. So when it comes down to it this year, I'm stronger just because of last year. And I, I was watching, uh, I think it was Embedded, you, uh, you talked about you drove from California to Houston. Do, do, do you take the drive when you can as opposed to a flight, or was it just more convenient, or was there is there something about that ritual that you like? There's no ritual, so I mean, my wife is pregnant. She wanted to be here. Oh, She's doing fly. five weeks, man. So when we come down to it, dude, well, it's a team. It's a teamwork makes the dream work type of thing. My wife wanted to be here. I said, that's cool. I'm going to make the adjustments. She's like, you need to fly. And I was like, I'm cool, man. I was like, I'll make the adjustments. I'm a team captain. I'll fucking make sure this fucking stuff gets there. My pops, it was cool. I got to sit in the driver's seat. I drove eight hours the first time. And it was cool. We, we drove from California. We got to Arizona and Mexico. I got to see the sunset and I got to see the sunrise with my pops. And that's cool, man. I, I never got to do that and never got to travel too much, you know. So it was, a, it was a big deal, dude, to be able to take some time and to really encompass something different. didn't matter if it was a driver flight, didn't, nothing. It was just something different to do, to enjoy. A lot of times, last year, right, you see, like, everybody panicked and they, there's, there's so much social distancing and everybody got cold. And that's what everything, that's what the world is trying to do right now. Everybody's trying to turn on each other and make each other cold. And, and it's just that time. But this is where the time where it's like people need to show up and they need to work. And I've said that over and over. When we work, we do good. 
and I can't emphasize it anymore, man. I'm just putting in the more work. And, and like I said, everything just gets clear. I look better. I feel good. And people notice it. You don't have to boast about it because people are emulating that. They feel that energy and they're radiating off of you. So that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, the, the, the term craziness gets thrown around a lot with you, Tony. You're, you're a very intense individual. You fight in a manner that people can look at and go, man, this guy's just kind of crazy. Is, is that a fair assessment? Because when you break things down, it seems well, like everything is calculated. But, no, no, but that's what I'm saying. But look at how Joe Rogan, everybody says. Everybody's going to follow what somebody says, and they're going to be a fucking sheep. What Before it was cringy. And then it was weird. And then it was genius. You get what I'm saying? Right. So that's so, so it's a pioneer. I'm a pioneer and it's not, I'm only in here for them. I'm 30 fucking eight years old. My fighters are winning. I'm a coach. I made that transition in a coach. I'm a talking about dude. Like I'm going to be real. My coach is a world champion from Champagne, France, freestyle wrestler, Greco Roman champ. You got to understand that. Like I'm very coachable. The craziness doesn't come out from crazy. Marty Morgan straight up says, Tony, and when on the Ultimate Fighter show, and everybody all flipped out, he's like, "Dude, you haven't seen half of this shit I've seen. I'm a scout for the University of Minnesota." He's like, "This ain't shit compared to the stuff I've seen. These other fucking guys ain't got nothing." He's like, "You want to see crazy? Go over there." I had to do more stuff in like in like in the. I'm a country boy. You have no idea. I grew up hunting. I grew up skinning deer when I was only eight to ten years old, and helping my pops learn how to track these animals with a very small speck of blood, and learn how to do this. You know, during like what it was raining. During all of that, man, like I don't surround myself around people that ain't doing what I'm doing. Like Joe Rogan, you want to go hunting? We can go hunting too. I'll show you my bow. I got a Hoyt. It's awesome. You know what I mean? I, I do a lot of things with mixed martial arts and I keep myself busy as an athlete. Never ask too much and I never put too much on my plate that I can't handle. Like I said, God always handles it very way, strange mm-hmm. ways. And uh, I don't ever go against them. I'm always for it. And that's what keeps my faith strong, sir. Yeah, it's good to have it. I mean, uh, it, it's difficult. I mean, I struggle with it myself. So if you can maintain it and keep it, keep a, a good solid faith, I mean, uh, I commend you for it. No, that's what I'm saying. Because right now, and this is the times, right? We're supposed to be going against each other and turning cold. So that's what I'm saying. So I can't be doing that, man. I'm trying to make sure that everybody understands that we're tough as fuck as a human race, man. We're, we're here to stay. We're, we're doing what we got to do, man. And uh, as fighters, that's what we do. We go out there, we train, we fight, so that way the crowd and the fans can understand that, man. The, and the fighters all the time, they say, hey, how do I get involved in this? I'm like, find your ass at a gym, stay there until the fucking owner kicks your ass out, and then show up earlier than him, stay there all day. If you have no equipment, just hit the bags with your fucking knuckles. Somebody will recognize it, and they'll give you some pair of gloves like they did to me. Hey, son, do you have any gloves? No. Was that you hitting the bag the other day? Yeah, my buddy told me the lost and found was right there. I had like 50 bucks in my name and two suitcases when I started mixed martial arts. Barely any fucking place to stay. You know, nobody knows this shit. But there's no sad story, man. There's no sad story with me because what I did is I earned it. And there's no bullshit with it, man. Like I said, I don't, I don't call no privileges. I don't say as much on all things, right? You never hear me bitch about a lot. But I do. I go out there and I represent my company to the fullest. And there's a communication factor that has to be there. And a lot of people don't know how to communicate. That's the one thing. Everybody holds it in, they bottle it up, and then they explode. You can't do that shit. You can't let people speak for you either. I love Dana. I love Sean. Well, I don't you know, love those guys, but you know they're cool as fuck. You know, they give me a job to be able to do that. And after the pandemic, I told them I'm proud of them because it took a group effort to be able to get this sports shit back on, like a big group effort. 72 hours we went. We had fallout. We had things that fell through because people couldn't keep their fucking mouths shut. Too many rats. We had a lot of people, you know, fucking this sport's all about rats. 
I know them all. I can pinpoint them. Every fucking one of them, right? Remember when I went to school, right? And you asked if I was going to be a cop? Come on, Dougie. Exactly. We can pinpoint it right away exactly who speaks and who doesn't. Now I'm just being uh, inundated with this vision of Tony Ferguson interrogating someone. That would be terrifying, Tony. You you may have missed your calling in that sense of, of police work. What do you think I don't do? I do it all the time. So if I need information from somebody, I'll get it. Now, you mentioned uh, like certain attitudes you don't like or or, or, or or like a toxic environment. Is that one of those things where you kind of smell it quickly? Like, fuck, man, I think this guy is going to be difficult. Or or will you give somebody enough time to kind of prove you wrong? It depends. Usually I have a pretty good eye. I can just look right through their eyes and just see exactly what they're made of. So, you know, you know, kind of early on. And I don't think people maybe maybe I don't want to misquote you, but you said something about guys shit talking. I, I think most guys I've, I've ever heard speak about you. It's, it's always with a lot of admiration. Uh, you seem to be somebody who is comfortable doing things in a way that you see fit. Um, and I think that's why people say, well, he's unorthodox, just because you seem to do things that you're comfortable doing. Um, and well, you the don't stuff, see the stuff that I post. Right. You know what I mean, interrupt the stuff that I post is not the regular stuff. That right. stuff was fun. You know, half the time, think about it like this. Chris Weedman starting to walk again. He's doing his thing. But if it wouldn't have took for guys like me and, and, and guys or things or my dad being tough as fuck to, like, put the boots on and go out there. I mean, literally, we would do granite, dude, in the freezing fucking cold in the pole barn, right? And, and I mean, granite's no joke. And we'd be out there, and this dude right there, it didn't fucking matter if he wanted to do it or not. He would lace up his boots, and he would go out there and do this shit. And he taught me how to woodwork, and he taught me how to use my hands and how to do everything. So I'm going to be real. My thing was always to, if you take a tool out, you had to put it back. So at my academy, it's the exact same way. I teach people how to be men, how to fucking be a man in this shit. Because a lot of people don't know, understand that. They don't know that this fucking stuff, you have to take care of your stuff. Brock always said, don't buy expensive shit, pay your taxes and fucking save your money, kid. And a lot of my other friends, like Freddie Prince Jr. said the same thing. So when it correlates like that, then fuck, man, it might be real. These guys know what the fuck they're talking about. So it takes a guy like me to be able to help these up and coming fighters, you know. I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm not the, the 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 only person that can do that. But damn, dude, if I can save them a headache and be like, look, man, you have to be able to, you have to strength train, you have to make the grade to play. That means you have to fucking act the same way inside the cage as in the outside the cage. You can't be a fucking fool. When John Jones was going through his shit, I made contact with him and made sure that he was cool because I wrestled him in college. I was like, hey, you cool, dude? And I'm gonna be real. And it's the same thing. That's a fucking, that's a teammate. That's a big different thing, man. It's, it's, a, it's a UFC type of thing. Not a lot of people see that and they don't do that. They think everything's unorthodox. But I come from a very, very structured background. A very, very structured background. So when it comes down to it, it's not like fly by the seat of the pants and do anything. No, man. I'm very tedious with it. I've been doing this for, what, 11 years? But I've been competing in sports for over 30. And that's in three different sports. At the highest level, dog. That's being able to be coachable and allowing myself to utilize the knowledge that I graduated with in college, right? Think about that. You graduate, you're going to use all that knowledge that you have, and you're going to go out in the real field and you're going to apply. And when you apply it, you might lose, you might win, you might do whatever, but does that stop you? Everybody starts in a garage, right? Think about that. When I was preparing for Khabib at UFC 209, I was one of the very first fucking people to do all that. Starting training in the garage and doing this and putting it out there. And we beat Khabib in my garage. He never showed up. UFC 209. We went over to a boxing gym and there were some Russians over there that I knew that my boxing coach knew. This is how I fucking interrogate. I understand. I know what the fuck's going on. Somebody made a phone call that night to Ali Abdelaziz because I was piecing up my sparring partners and I was fucking up the speed bag and a bunch of other stuff. And they said to him, do not show up. 
you're going to be losing a lot of people money. And it was his ass. Wow. Uh, I'm curious, Tony, you mentioned uh, Khabib. There's still rumblings out there that maybe he comes back. Maybe he doesn't. Um, You know, the title, maybe not so much the narrative here. But for me, I just wanted to see someone with your style fight Khabib. Is that a fight that you want still someday? Hey, you know it. I know it. I'm going to be real. I'm a fan of the sport, too. Uh, that's why I do this. I'm going to be real. I like to see styles. Obviously, you know, you saw Oliveira myself. You saw Gaethje and that. Those were good fights, man. I'm going to be real. When it came down to the preparation, and it's mixed martial arts. It's not a pissing contest in there. That's the best part I love about it. The game is getting more and more interesting. You have up-and-coming talent who are mixing it up more and more, which is forcing the veterans to, you know, mix it up more and more, which is great, dude. This is what MMA is all about. And when we mix it up the most was from the ultimate fighter. That's what I realized. When we mixed it up from the Ultimate Fighter, that was like the best thing that we could have ever had. And when I got outside of the Ultimate Fighter, I had to try to find a coach. I ended up finding a coach from Junior Dos Santos' team, Billy Shive. He was one of my coaches, Billy Farnwell. And I hit him up, and he gave me his number inside there, and I hit him up. And he he could barely make you know a couple of the practices, but the things that he showed me, it was like, what, Apollo? Remember that movie when he was like, hey, can you show me some drills? Mm-hmm. That was me, dude. That was me the whole fucking like eight years right there. Like just fucking being like, hey, can you guys show me some drills? Can you, I'm going to go and I'm going to work on it. And they took that and they knew I would not uh, mistreat it and and not like, you know, share it with everybody. And that's that's what it was. And that's how I, I developed my team and my camaraderie with everybody. And it's really cool, man, how it works. And, uh, you know, like being able to do these interviews with you guys. And now we're thinking about having these fans out here now. That's fucking wild, yeah. man. Like, yeah, it's, I'm, it's like crazy. You have no fucking clue, man. This fight game is awesome. It's the most exciting shit in the world right now. And we're right in the knee deep in the middle of the fuck of it. And we're here in Houston. And last year, around, around last time I was here in Houston, this is when I broke my arm. I had came off of a year and a half hiatus from nothing. Wife was supporting me, fucking trying to get back in here, made the move, switch new managements and all this other bullshit. And then finally... We're back in Houston again where it feels like the exact same thing. Uh, it's amazing how this works. Well, Tony, look, man, th- th- we we uh, are really happy to talk to you today and uh, obviously fighting on the uh, co-main against Benil Dariush on uh, Saturday. Good luck with that. And good luck with the uh, with the you, new man. baby, man. I, I hope uh, everything hey, works thanks, out man. okay. Okay. Yeah, everything is going to appreciate you, man. Appreciate that. Okay, buddy. Talk to you again, all right? All right, later. Peace. Thanks, Tony. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed.
Let's bring in uh, Michael Chandler. Oh, there he is. Jesus. He pops in. Uh, he's always ready. That's why he's fighting for the belt on uh, on Saturday. How you doing? Always Michael? ready, man. I was I was here at twelve. I was here at twelve fifty eight, but we had some technical difficulties, man. Punctuality is is my is my jam. I I noticed too when you travel. It's funny you joked about traveling light. You carry three big bet. What is, what is there? What is it that you take with you besides equipment? Is there anything you have to have that you don't need, but that's like more superstitious? Nothing superstitious. No, it just fight week. Um, you know, people have asked me what I expected or, you know, Hey, did you expect to get the title shot this soon? Did you expect to be the backup? But like what I've realized over my decade and a half as a mixed martial artist, you have to expect the unexpected. So fight week, I probably travel with way too much more than I should. Right. Um, this one in particular, because it's a big UFC pay-per-view, um, lots of media obligations. So some different outfits for that. And then obviously my regular clothes, plus it's no easy task for me to make 155. So ton of sweats, weight cutting suits, and, uh, and then of course gear and all that. So Three bags for this trip. Um, plus, I live in I've been living in Florida the last two months and getting back home to Nashville with my family for the next couple months. Obviously, I have to bring a bunch of stuff that I've had in Florida back to Nashville. So that's kind of the gist of it. But it, it wasn't very fun lugging around three suitcases, but we got it done. Okay, good. <laughs> I mean, I the the airfare, uh, you know, ticket uh, bag fees. Uh, you got to be a champion just to afford all those bags, I think, Michael. Yeah, you know, luckily I. Uh, you know, I, ha- I had two free bags. The two of them were free, but that third one they had to pay a pretty penny for. But hey, it's all the cost of doing business, and uh, I'm excited. I don't care what I, I don't care. This 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 journey over the last fifteen years has has cost me a lot financially, physically, mentally, spiritually. Um, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. So I enjoy it. Let's talk a little bit about momentum, uh, Michael, if you don't mind, because you came in and made one of the most impactful UFC debuts in the history uh, of the promotion. Are you able to roll into Houston with that momentum or is it something that is, is broken at all, um, you know, based on just the, the time uh, separation between your last fight and this fight? Man, I, uh, I've felt nothing but momentum since, honestly, since knocking out Benson Henderson. I felt in that moment when I was in my last fight of my contract um, that if I went out there and put on a great performance against Benson Henderson, the, the, the momentum was just going to keep building and building and building. And then obviously signing with the UFC, it's been nothing but up, 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 upward trajectory since that signing in September 18th, I believe it was. Um, so since then of last year, man, I felt nothing but momentum, nothing but forward progress, forward progress as, as an athlete, but also forward progress just as a, as a confident human being. And I feel like I'm right exactly where I need to be at the exact right time. And I was prepared for such a time as this to be able to step inside that UFC octagon and fight for UFC gold and not just fight for it, but, but to win and have a great, great, um, mom, a great moment in my career, a great accomplishment. Charles Oliveira has some momentum himself on an eight fight win streak. So that excites me. Um, so it's a big fight. UFC 262 goes down this weekend, and I'm, I'm blessed to be the headliner. Yeah, you said that. I, I think and did you see he was the most dangerous guy or one of the scariest guys you've had to face. Uh, I mean, we just talked to Tony Ferguson and, and he really dominated Tony in a way on the on the floor that I don't think anybody ever thought would happen. Um, so, you, yeah, he's a very dangerous guy and you definitely recognize uh, the type of fighter you're up against. Yeah, I mean, you can't have. What is he? He's been in the UFC 11 years or something like that. He signed with the UFC in 2010. I started mixed martial arts in 2009. So he has almost as many years under the UFC banner as I have 
time as a mixed martial artist. Um, you alluded to the Tony fight. Yeah. What Charles Oliveira did to Tony Ferguson was, was nothing short of spectacular. Um, so yeah, he's dangerous in every single position. He's dangerous on the feet. He's dangerous in every single grappling exchange. He's dangerous up, um, up against the cage. He's dangerous in distance. He's dangerous up close. So that's what has gotten me to the top of my game right now. The, the danger that, that Charles Oliveira possesses in every single aspect of mixed martial arts. And I believe because of that danger, because of, of the relative certainty of being in uh, crazy situations at all times, an inch away, a quarter of an inch away from being knocked out or caught in a submission, that's made me take my game to the next level. I believe I'm prepared, I'm trained, and I'm ready to go out there and win. When you look at uh, DuBronx, is is this a fight you ever thought would happen? Because when you were, you know, outside of the UFC, you know, it was always a, a possibility that you would eventually land in the octagon. Uh, I'm sure you thought about, you know, how you matched up with the competition uh, and the Ultimate Fighting Championship. But but DuBronx is a guy that's fought at 45 as well as 55. Uh, I think this would have been an unlikely guess if anyone said, okay, Michael Chandler fights for a UFC title. Who is it against? Did you ever foresee this matchup? Um, I mean, if you would ask me a couple of years ago, I'd say probably not. But if, if you see the way that Charles Oliveira has ran through the division and been on this eight fight winning streak and he beats number number uh, beats Kevin Lee, who was at right outside the top five. And then he beats Tony Ferguson, who was number three, number four at the time. I mean, the guy the guy has earned it and the guy guy deserves it. Absolutely. Um, you know, I cornered against Charles Oliveira. I cornered Miles Jury years ago. Um so I got to see firsthand uh, who Charles Oliveira is as a, as a martial artist inside the octagon, very close, obviously coaching or cornering against him. And since that day, um, I've wanted to compete against him, to be honest. Um, I think I think he's a dangerous guy. I think he's a guy that I, I would love to fight. I respect his skill set. I respect what he brings to the to the table. Um and like I said, expect the unexpected in this sport. I'm just the beneficiary of some weird, not not weird, but some interesting circumstances with Khabib retiring and Connor and Poirier being tied up in a trilogy. So that that leaves me and Charles Oliveira to fight for the title. And here we go, onward and upward. We're going to win that baby. And how do you approach it? Before because some guys are very. I thought that uh, when Adesanya and and Costa bumped into each other, and Adesanya was friendly, Costa seemed like he was a little bit taken aback by that. Um, some, some guys are very strange before a fight. I saw you and Oliveira saw each other in the hotel. Are you somebody that will normally go, I don't want to speak to this guy at all. Or could you walk up and just say, Hey, how was your trip in? Or what is your mentality with the other fighter before a fight? My mentality is usually, you know, if you get, I mean, if we walk into an elevator together, you know, we're stuck <laughs> or we're, we're stuck in the same room together. Like I'm not going to not say anything, you know, shake his hand, look him in the eyes, wish him good luck. I mean, right now it's wishing good luck on the weight cut. We all want to make weight. We all want to make weight um, in a, in a safe way. We all want to make weight. So this fight can happen. Yeah. Um, but he's walked past me two different times. I've, you know, looked over at him, made, you know, made a little bit of eye contact, gave him one of these, you know, I'm not the kind of guy who, who believes that you can truly get up in someone's face and look in their eyes. And he, because he blinked, that means I'm, I got I got one over on him. You know, if anything, I'm the kind of guy where, man, I come from that wrestling background, man, you're, you're standing in line with, you're warming up with, you're cutting weight with, you're in the same area, the same vicinity as the guy you're about to compete against minutes moments before the fight at all or before the wrestling match at all times for me wrestling or mixed martial arts is the same way i don't believe there's any secrets i don't believe 
the mental warfare pays that many much dividend in, in this sport. There's other guys who believe it's everything. Um, so if I see him, I'll be respectful. I'll shake his hand say, good luck. You know, cause truly he's got a family to feed. He's got, he's got a, a legacy he's trying to create. He's got a career that he's continuing to pursue. He's got this gold belt on Saturday night that he believes and he is trying to win. So may the best man win. And, and if we, you know, when we see each other, I'll be respectful. Um, at the weigh-ins, at the press conference, I'm going to be respectful. Obviously, this one, it adds an extra wrinkle because he has a, a language barrier. We, I don't know Portuguese, and I don't, he doesn't really speak English. So that is that, and um, we'll see how it all shakes out the rest of the week. Yeah, the worst is if you don't speak the same language as somebody and you hear them say something in their native tongue and then everybody around them laughs and you're like, I know that was a good one, but I can't even respond to it. Like, yeah. I, I know the guy is shit-talking, and I, I have no idea what he just said. Yeah, um, exactly. Is the pressure any different? Uh, again, you, you, you fought high pressure situations, but now the crowds are coming back main event championship fight, uh, a lot more press being in, in the UFC. Is there any difference for you at all? I wouldn't say from the pressure standpoint, and that sounds like an oxymoron because yes, I have been in some big fights. I've been on some big cards. I've headlined big cards. I fought for world titles, defended world titles, won world titles, but it's all been outside the UFC. The UFC is by far and away the biggest organization in mixed martial arts. Um, but for some reason, as fate would have it, I don't really feel much pressure. I think at this point, I'm just, I feel like I'm fighting on borrowed time. You know, I had a really great long career that I was happy with, but I didn't think it was going to be complete unless I stepped inside and competed in the octagon against the best guys in the world. And now I get the opportunity to do that. So I'm, and I'm the underdog in the betting lines in this fight. I was the underdog in the betting lines in my last fight. Don't be surprised if I beat Charles Oliveira, win the title, and then defend it by the end of the year against Dustin Poirier or Conor McGregor, and I'm the underdog again. That's completely fine with me. Um, I by no means feel slighted because of that. Um, it's, just an, it's just fun, man. I'm just having a blast. So this, the, I try not to think about the magnitude of how big this fight is and what a UFC title means to me and would mean for my legacy, for my career, for my wife and son who make all the sacrifices. Um, I'll enjoy it. And I, and I think that, not the pressure, but I think the relief and the, the reality and the magnitude of the situation really will hit me as soon as I get back to the back and do the press conference and then I can get around my wife and my family and my, my people and be, and just sit back take a deep breath and say, man, we did it. You know, that was a lot of pressure. Thank God I didn't feel it, but there was a lot riding on this. I'd like to talk a little bit about the X's and O's of this fight. Charles Oliveira, very dangerous uh, fighter, you know, comparably uh, skilled both on the feet and uh, on the floor. But when you look at Dobronx, he's he's got really good uh, kicks. He's he's been able to utilize them over the course of his career. Uh, Michael, we've we've seen you you know suffer that that drop foot situation in your fight with Primus. Um, people are pointing to the kicks. I think in this fight a little bit, maybe being uh, the X factor and something that Oliveira can. Uh, you know, call upon. But when I think about, you know, great leg kick offenses in mixed martial arts, I think about Benson Henderson, who you handled fine uh, both times that, that you met him. Do, do you feel like uh, the kicking attack of, of Oliveira will be something that you're going to have to deal with, or is it going to be a non-issue? Uh, it's always an issue. I mean, number one, he's long. Uh, number two, he has confidence in his kicks. And and uh, number three, yeah, you, you've seen me get leg, tick, leg kicked, but we all get leg kicked. Um, if you want to pull out that one example, um, you're going to you're going to be it's kind of a fool's errand because 
every single fight's a different fight. Dan Hooker himself is a phenomenal leg kicker, has crushed people's legs and debilitated people. You saw my pressure. You saw me coming forward. You saw what I was able to do to him. And you saw how coming forward on guys and putting pressure on them and backing them up does thwart a lot of the leg kicks. Um, I wouldn't be a professional fighter if I wasn't constantly training uh, leg kick defense. So I've got, I've got that in droves. I have confidence on my leg kick defense. I believe it's going to be not a non-factor, but I don't think it's going to be a, a big enough factor to beat me. If you, if you're going to rely on just leg kicks to beat me, you're going to be in a, in a bad, bad way, because you also got to remember when you're throwing leg kicks, you're standing on one foot, you're putting yourself out of position and these hands come fast and they come fast and they come powerful and they can put your lights out. So that's where I stand on it. Um, I'm sure my leg will get kicked. I'm sure I'll have some red marks. I'm sure I might even have some bruising. I might even limp after the fight, but I tell you right now, you better cut my leg off, rip them both off. If you think you're going to beat me. And, and, and Michael, uh, when, when something like that happens, I guess the, the drop footer, what does that feel like? Are you in agony or is it one of those things you don't really feel as much? Because, uh, again, we've seen more of that in, in recent history than, than in many, many prior years before. Is it something that you like you realize how bad it is or do you think it's broken or is it just numb? Uh, no, I mean, out there, luckily, adrenaline's a heck of a drug, man. Adrenaline, it, you know, with the adrenaline and the the blood pumping and, and the crowd screaming and being in the moment, you don't feel a thing really. Um, more than anything, you're just trying to, you're just kind of trying to figure out what happened. Cause you know, it was so that ha when it happens, it's so unexpected. So um, at this point, I know exactly what to do. Um, if that were to happen in the 0.001% chance that, that that does happen, I know exactly what to do, exactly how to deal with it. And uh, I will still win the fight uh, regardless of any of that kind of stuff happening. And uh, before we let you go, I, and one more question. How long does it take for that to normally write itself? It took about two weeks, um, which was oh, okay. a very, very long two weeks um, to look down at your foot and not be able to dorsiflex your foot, not be able to bring your toes towards your face. Um, as a professional athlete, as a guy who, who makes his living and provides for his family with his body, with my two arms and my two legs and my capable body, to look down at at one of my most prized possessions on my body, my, you know, my, my leg, my foot, and it not move and not work properly. My brain is telling it to move, but it's not moving. That was a, a very tough situation and a very scary um, right. set of circumstances that I really had to work through, but did a lot of rehab, came back even better than ever. Yeah, it's scary if, if you realize but I need this to work and if it doesn't work, then what? You start reevaluating everything, right? Like, or at least briefly. Of course. I mean, yeah, that's, you know, it's like a, it's like when a, a pitcher in, in the major league baseball needs a shoulder surgery, they know it's going to heal. You know, right. you know, you know, we have a, a propensity to heal, but you still look down and think, man, I make all my money and provide for my family by throwing, by using this arm to throw that fastball, to throw that curveball, And for me to be able to move and to be able to wrestle and be able to grapple and be able to fight, be able to be able to compete. I need the leg to work. I need the foot to work. I need to be able, you know, so I, I had faith that it was all going to come back. My, my neurosurgeon at Sanford, um, at Sanford orthopedics, my orthopedic doctor at Sanford orthopedics, we have a great team of brilliant medical minds around us. They all said, Hey, I know it feels crazy right now, but this thing's going to come back. It's going to be, be completely fine. You're going to be just fine. And I'm like, okay, doc, but come on, man. Like, give me, give me some, give me a hundred percent certainty. Yeah. Show me some studies, you know, because as an athlete, um, who has one of his limbs taken away from him for a short period of time. It was uh, it was a scary, scary moment for a couple of weeks.
Well, look, um, again, uh, we uh, your first fight in the UFC was incredible. Good luck Saturday against Charles Oliveira, another great fighter. This is a if I could have put you against anyone, it would have been him and him against anyone. It would have been you. This is the fight as a fan that I would love to have seen more than Poirier, more than uh, Connor. Uh, you two matched up against each other. So uh, good luck on Saturday night uh, for the belt. And uh, it'll be a great fight. Uh, we have no doubt. Well, that that is great to hear. And yeah, I can't wait to go out there and compete. And uh Next time we do this podcast, your boy will have a belt. So let's go. All right. Michael Chandler, thank you, man. A pleasure talking to you as always. Yes, sir. See you guys. See you at the top. Thanks, Mike. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you guys? Very, very good. Uh, we just had uh, uh, Tony Ferguson and uh, Michael uh, Chandler on. Are you watching the, the fights this uh, Saturday? Oh, yeah. 1,000%. Yeah. You're a legit fan. You're like, you, you love UFC. Well, I mean, I started fighting when I was 18, 19, and then I got out of fighting and, and went into acting. And, uh, I mean, now I'm kind of getting back into it. But, yeah, I've always been a fan of, of UFC, even since UFC won. What made you step away from fighting and go into acting? Money. Just the money. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I was a kid from Sacramento that didn't even think acting was a possibility. Uh, I just I came out here on a, on a whim. I got an invitation to do some kind of like modeling stuff. Um, and just to get out of sack and change the scenery. So when I came out here, uh, uh, saw a couple other people doing this acting thing. Um, I was looking at them I'm like, man, if you can do it, I can do it. So let me try this shit out. So I tried it out and, uh, nine months or no, yeah, it was nine months after I moved out of here. I booked my first lead in a movie and I was just like, you're fucking, I'm just not going to leave. I'm not going to move back. I'm not going to, you know, change anything. I'm just going to continue acting. That, that's some quick success. I mean, yeah. th- it's, a, it's a tough industry. I'm curious if there's any crossover, Ryan, between fighting and acting from the preparation standpoint or just the durability because you got to have a, a ton of auditions before you uh, get that gig ge- generally. Um, is there anything you learned you know, from fighting that you apply towards acting in, in that side of uh, the entertainment industry? Yeah, 1,000%. Again, uh, it was the discipline you learn in fighting. I mean, you, you get your ass beat all the time i mean there's the whole point of like fight camp or even training is just kind of find your limits and then break those limits and build new ones um with acting i thought it was a lot easier because you know i don't mind getting turned down i don't mind getting told what i'm supposed to work on or um you know it was kind of just like superficial kind of stuff so like oh yeah he's not right for this he's not right for that and you know all right cool i'm not a I'm not really an actor, so I'm fooling these guys. You know, let me try and get in there and fool these guys a little bit more. Um, and after a while, you know, it just started turning. I think the competitive mindset kicked in from fighting or from athletics in general. I was like, man, I, I gotta succeed. Now it's it's me against me. So I, I, I got I gotta book something, and I can't just book. For me, I'm an extremist. I'm like, I don't want to book just a you know, a little part here, a little part there. Let's get something big. So, you know, I chased the the biggest thing I could do and I got a lead, you know, in 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 uh Lionsgate film. And you take uh and you said your first thing was from modeling. What was the what was the modeling thing? Do they say, hey look, we just want you to come out and audition for this or we just want you to come out and shoot this? So I was in within a modeling agency in San Francisco. I was doing I was kind of all over the place. I was in uh school at the time uh playing baseball and while I was playing baseball I would go from Sacramento to San Fran every now and then to try and do some modeling and modeling was 
financing enough because I didn't have any other money coming in. You know, as a college student, you don't really have shit. Um, so yeah, modeling would help me out. I did that for a couple of years. And then uh, a photographer that I knew invited me out to do a photo shoot in LA. And while I was in, I'm out in LA, uh, the modeling agency in San Francisco said, you know, we'll hook you up with a couple other agencies out there. So if you want to, you know, try it out. I said, all right, let's, let's try it out. Sign with the, uh, the top agency out here, uh, Wilhelmina, uh, one of the top agencies out here. Uh, I didn't think that was going to happen. Um, and then I thought, you know, it was going to be bright lights and shining stars when I came out here. Man, they, when I came out here, they moved me into a one bedroom with five guys. I was sleeping on the couch <laughs> with, with duct tape around the, the, the couch cushion so I could sleep on, on, uh, at night. And I remember actually having to like almost fight the guy for the room. Um, so eventually I got the room, but yeah, it was, it was more so like things just kind of progressively worked themselves out to be what they are now. When you have a meeting for, with a modeling agency, you do you immediately know, hey, this is going to be good by the by the reaction of the people you're talking to? Like I've done a lot of auditions, not for I did one modeling audition. It's humiliating. It was humiliating because I, I was the wrong fucking place. My dumb manager sent me, and um, it was for Calvin Klein, and 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 he goes, just use your personality. Just and I'm like, I walk in, it was a print ad. It was a fucking, it was a print ad I walked in for it. And it's just, they were all pleasant, but it was just embarrassing. So do you walk in immediately and know like, Hey, this, this person thinks I'm hot and I'm, I'm going to be okay at this agency. How does that oh, work? No. no, 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 hell no. No. Cause I'm looking around, I'm seeing all these guys that are manicured and, you know, care about that looks 10 times more than I do. I'm still fighting at this point in time. I'm still training. You know, I, I remember I come into uh, uh, auditions with, you know, uh, all scratches on my back because of the cage. Or like I'd have a little black eye or like my nose would be a little eh. Um, so they took it way more serious than I did. But when I went into those auditions or castings, they call, um, a lot of those people are dicks. You know, a lot of those people, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I hated the whole industry, to be honest. There's quite a few people that I, I, I do love, you know, um, I've met some good people through it, but there's a hierarchy in that thing. It's kind of like a, it's, it's a weird, like uh, a world to live in. And, and uh, when it's all based around looks, it's something that I was never intrigued about. I never wanted to, you know, make a living off of looks. Um, but shit, if you're going to pay me enough for it, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I just kind of bit the bullet a couple of times, you know, I did some, uh, a lot of photo shoots. I, I remember I did an Abercrombie and Fish photo shoot, um, where they flew us out to Miami and, uh, it was like, like 60 or 70 different models out there. It was the first like big, big thing that I had done. And this was when Abercrombie was still in their heyday of, um, let's just say they were leaning more towards doing shit they shouldn't be doing with, with certain individuals. And I was always weary of that. So I'd always see like, you know, they, they pair us off and I'd see like my roommates sneak off and, and go meet up with the photographer. And I'm like, bro, you're doing what for a photo shoot? Like just to get a little ad in this photo shoot? I'm like, no, they, you can keep that. I'm going to take my free trip to Miami. I'm going to hang out with all these models. I'm enjoying my life. But it was kind of like two different worlds living in tandem. Wow. A little seedy, little seedy, oh, seedy yeah. underbelly. Yeah. 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 
Hey, uh, Ryan, I'm curious. Um, you, you mentioned you're an extremist and, you know, fighting, that's definitely an extreme uh, type of lifestyle and, and career to pursue. So is acting and in, in, in modeling. Um, compare the two highs, I guess, for me, because when you're, when you're out there fighting, it's very primitive and primal and you, you feel that natural, you know, rush of endorphins. Is, is there anything similar to that, you know, in getting a gig or doing well in, in the other world? Yeah, in... So, for instance, doing a scene with with another actor and uh, doing these scenes, the best scenes for me are a lot of push and pull. So you're you're forcing the actor to do something they probably didn't think about before, and they're doing the exact same thing to you. Um, and there's a moment I've had a couple of these moments. One I had with Edward James Almost, uh, another one I had Jennifer Lopez. Like not the name dropper at all, but they're people that I never thought I would work with. Right. So. Uh, just appreciating that moment with them and understanding that like it's an outer body experience. The same thing when, you know, the, the cage doors close. Uh, I remember my first fight, I was so nervous. I was shaking and uh, my nerves took it out of me. And then there was a moment of clarity and it was after like the second round, my coach sits me down and I'm like, I'm fucking exhausted at this point in time. Like, everything's gone. And he slapped me in the face and he goes, what round is it? And I go, Look, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing at that point in time. And he goes, this is the second round. You still got two more. You better wake the fuck up. And then I woke up and there was this feeling of like surreality. Like, it's like, all right, I'm, I'm actually here. I'm living my dream right now. Like I get to go back out there and do something that not too many people can do or not too many people would want to do. Right. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things with acting and, and fighting that are kind of similar. And in essence, they're both arts. They're both art forms. And you want to just fighting take the, the nerves out of acting in a way just because the penalty for losing a fight. You can have your jaw broken. Like there's a real physical penalty. The penalty for fucking up a scene, you just reshoot it. Like the, the, it, it's scary for its own ego reasons and none of us want to look bad. But the penalty is so much less in acting than fighting. Maybe fighting prepares you to like how important is it if I make a mistake here and take some of the pressure off? Yeah, there was a quote from uh, Jack Nicholson. It was, there's always take two. Yeah. I love that quote. You know, you fuck up one time, then just try something new. Uh, when I was a beginner as an actor, um, I thought that every take was supposed to be the take. And um, that if I didn't do it right the first time, they were going to fire me on the spot. For some reason, I always had this heat in my head, like, I got to do everything perfect. Um I'm 11 years in as, as an actor now. I've done, I think, like 14 different movies and I'm on my fourth or fifth show. Now it's just kind of like, you know, I'm putting on to close again. It's just, I'm, I'm getting into character and then just, I, I, I flow into it very easily. Um, I would imagine some something like a lot of these fighters nowadays uh, that have been doing it, career fighters that have been doing it for 15 years. Like when Khabib, when Khabib comes into the octagon, I mean, it, it, I don't see too much pressure on him. I see him kind of just finding himself again, gathering his thoughts, gathering his emotions, going in there, doing what his dad taught him to do for the most of his life and, and just carrying out his job. It's the same way with acting um, for me. Now that I'm kind of getting back into fighting, though, I'm having to reintroduce myself to something that I haven't really thought about in a long time. And uh, 
it's it's beautiful at the same time. It's just really cool to kind of you know have a second chance and and understand something from a different perspective because of age and, and uh, maturity. You wonder, does it too? Because it does remove the pressure of making a mistake, but does it add pressure back? Like if now, if you go back to fighting uh, and you get like, you know, something happens in the gym, or you get kicked. Is there a party that's going to go like, oh, fuck, there's a lot easier way to make a living than this. Like there, there's a lot more pleasant ways to live than getting kicked in the stomach. Yeah, yeah, man. I've gone through hell and high water with my coaches and my, my trainers. Uh, uh, just, I mean, but that's the part I love. I mean, so I went through this whole fucking experience a year back or so and it made me question everything um and made me question myself more so than anything i was trying to be more introspective about anything and i didn't want to be this kind of guy that you know chose fighting because it's the cool hot thing nowadays and um be another youtube asshole trying to you know make a lot of money whatever uh i i wanted to know if i'm i'm actually about that lifestyle or if it's something that's giving me something some peace inside and it took my wife you know to kind of pull me out of my own head and be like look Ryan I've never seen you happier than you are when you're sparring somebody when you're in the thick of fire I can tell that that's when you find your peace I go okay good so it's not just me trying to be a tough guy or anything like that this is actually who I am this is what I love doing kind of like you know Mario Lopez has made a name for himself for um for what he does for entertainment tonight and, and all the other stuff that he's done saved by the bell. But most people that do know him know that he loves boxing. He boxes with everybody. He's boxed with Canelo. He's boxed. With, I mean, he's far with them. He's not actually, you know, done it, but there's something about those kind of people that, that love the, the form that, that you have to take as a martial artist. And, and I truly respect all martial artists out there that have given their life and their soul to it. I mean, I've, I've been off and on for about 20 years. Um, but there's something that I can't really describe to another person that wouldn't understand this kind of fight game. It, it's just you when you hop in that cage with like-minded men that want to take your fucking head off, there's something so primitive about it that allows you to kind of just say, fuck all the other stuff, you know, the ego, if I'm losing or what I'm not, I have to learn. I have to understand what I need to do to win. And that's it. Hey, I'm curious, Ryan, when you go and and train and go spar, are you really selective with your training partners? Because, you know, uh, as someone who is, you know, of higher stature and higher profile in the public spotlight, every time you go in there and put on the gloves, I got to assume that if it's with someone new, they're thinking like, man, I I got a chance to knock out the guy from 911. I can't wait to tell my buddies about this. Yeah, I mean, I, I've always said it to everybody that I, I'll be down to throw hands with anybody, uh, fight anybody at any point in time. I can't say that shit and not actually do it. <laughs> right. So, sure. um, yeah, no, whoever wants to fight, we can fight. Uh, but right now I've, I've been having great sparring partners. Um, and they're all like, you know, top seed guys. Uh, so. As far as me, I mean, I've, I've kind of invited certain actors. I've invited, you know, beginners and blah, blah, just to kind of teach them a little bit. But I realized that my skill level started going down more and more and more because I was getting used to what their skill, skill level was. And I started to copy. So when I went to get go against actual guys that have been doing it for years upon years, man, they lit me up. 
and they, they told me right then and there, it's like, all right, this ain't a game no more. Come back to us. You, you know, you got to get your shit back together. So, uh, it's been an, uh, again, an enlightening and pro- enlightening process. Um, you know, if Nate Diaz ever wants to, you know, spar, I'm sure that he'll, you know, light me up a little bit, but at the same time, man, I'm, that's what I'm here for. I'm, I'm here to learn. I'm, and I, I learn by knocking my head against the wall, like most men. So <laughs> like, go ahead, hit me, man. I'm going to come push forward. I'm not going to stop. That's the thing. I, I just, I just won't quit on you. You don't mind sparring a guy like that because you're watching somebody who's so great at something and you're, you're able to learn from them by sparring with them. Yeah. There's something I can pull from this sparring session. That's going to actually allow me to fight. So when I go into my next fight, which is going to happen very soon, actually, I think I got a fight coming up. Um, in June, uh, I can apply what I've learned, you know, and I can, I can now be the devastating person. I mean, I'm 33 years old. So, uh, there's a fork in the road at this point in time, you know, I either hop on the horse right now or I get off and I never say I'm a cowboy again. Um, and that's where I find myself, you know, so time is, is the biggest enemy right here. So if I'm letting my ego get in the way and I'm saying, nah, man, I don't want to fight this guy because he might be my ass or, Nah, man, I'll, I'll, let's fight this guy because it's so easy. That's doing nothing for me. You know, I want to be able to look at my son in, in his eyes when he gets a little older and be like, no, you know what? You got to go through some pain to get to some pleasure. So, you know, let's let's work through this. Let's understand ourselves. Let's, you know, give him a little foundation. Well, Ryan, are you promoting anything in particular now? Um, is there a project you're on or, 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 or uh, your fight in June? Or what would you like us to promote for you if we can? So right here, I got 911. Um, I just ended my fourth season, which is incredible. Um, it's the first TV show I've been on that has done four seasons. Uh, I think we're going to start doing our fifth season pretty soon. It's a really good show. Uh, tune in on Fox. Um, as far as the fight, I mean, it's a, it's an amateur fight, so it's a camo fight. I think it's at a casino. I don't really know the venue or not. Um, I keep everybody posted on my Instagram. I rarely get on my Instagram, so if you guys do follow me, I probably haven't posted in forever. So apologies to all the fans, but uh, I've been been busy training. Um, yeah, you're living. You're living. You're not posting. You're living. Yeah, yeah, man. I, I want to be, you know, present. So uh, yeah, it's just been that. It's literally been family, nine one one, and training MMA and learning as much martial arts as I possibly can. Fighting at one seventy. Um, come June nineteenth. Even though my coaches want me to go 155, uh, I fucking hate weight cuts. Yeah, it's a big difference. Yeah, I hate weight cuts, man. I came in at 196, and they're like, yeah, 155. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. Oh, yeah, but uh, as far as that, man, I, I, yeah, this that's it's very simple for me. You know, this, maybe if I can pick up another movie, I, I kind of put the, the heat on my, my agents and said, hey, if you don't want me to fight, if you're afraid of my nose getting broken or my face getting messed up, then book me a role. You know, get me a movie. Give me a financial incentive. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That's yeah. the ultimate bargaining chip right there. Yeah. I mean, I, it's a win-win for me. Right. So, yeah. I get the fight or I get to make a movie. Um, there's been a couple of things that have been given to me, but uh, nothing feels right just yet. And uh, we'll see what, what the future has in store for me as far as an actor. Um, I don't plan on ever leaving as an actor and just continue to be a fighter. But uh, while I can have these two 
worlds collide, might as well. You know, I probably have maybe six or seven years left in me with fighting. Um, and then hopefully at some point in time within those six or seven years, I can, I can make it to the UFC and I can make my name for myself and, and, uh, not in the clout version, but in action skill level and not just talking shit, you know, but, but actually fighting. Yeah. Yeah. Actually fighting. Yeah. Ryan, it was good talking to you, man. And, uh, you know, as your fight comes up, uh, or, or other fights for you, I'm sure we'll talk to you again. And, uh, you know, it was interesting. Uh, who do you got? Who do you got for the weekend? Do you have, uh, let's say, uh, Chandler Oliveira? I got Chandler. I got Chandler. Yeah, I think he's he's a dominant force. I mean, he was pretty good in Bellator. Uh, I think he had one loss, and it was to a submission, I believe. Can't remember. Uh, I, you guys would have to correct me on that, but I think he has one loss. Um, and Oliveira, he's dominant. I mean, his last fight with Tony Ferguson. He looked, he looked incredible. It was a masterclass. I loved watching it. Um, oh, so, oh, Oliveira, you mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. sorry. I missed, yeah. I missed Okay, yeah. Charles Love. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I, did you ever think you'd see Ferguson dominated like that? That was crazy, right? No, man. I don't think anybody expected that. You know, we're all thinking that Tony Ferguson is just bad out of hell. You know, El Kukui, like, kind of personality. And then I'll, here comes Charles Oliveira, like, just manhandling it pretty much. And same thing with, with Chandler. I was like, all right, he's a Bellator guy. Most guys at Bellator come through. And, you know, it's a different kind of – it's like going from AAA to, to, to uh, the pros in, in baseball. Um, but, no, nah, he proved everybody wrong. He proved me wrong. I gave him all props. He fucking knocked the hell out of Dan Hooker. Uh, it was a beautiful, you know, cross. Yeah, it was- it's funny, too. We I wasn't surprised that he won – but no one saw a first round knockout. It's kind of like when when Rose beat Yinjechik in the first fight. Like nobody saw it happening. Like like, yeah. like you know, you might pick someone to win, but no one saw a, a fucking tap from strike. So yeah, I love when stuff like that happens when it's just something that nobody like nobody expected Usman and Covington to stand for five rounds. You know, no, I was, no one expected that. I thought for sure somebody was going to get taken down, and do some wrestling at all with Usman and and Covington fight. Um, but then again, that's the beauty of this sport. You never know. At any point in time, it can change. You know, I think a lot of people thought that Masvidal was since he didn't have a six-day, uh, you know, 20-pound notice. And he was going to come in here and do a lot differently than he did. Yeah. But Kamaru Usman, man, he's it's the work ethic. You see the work ethic in a lot of these guys, and, and they're just not um, – what I like about these guys, and especially with since we're talking about Usman and, and Chandler, they, they work with each other. I don't know if you've seen their videos of them rolling together and doing some wrestling. It's fluid. It's perfect. Like this guy is crawling on top of his back and sliding down to his leg and all in one motion. And for most people that watch that video, they're like, oh, well, that's kind of cool. But when you actually try and do that stuff, that is the hardest fucking thing in the fucking world. It's crazy. It's a level of technique that people can't understand unless you've actually tried to do it. And uh, man, I I love Ryan, Jim. Like yeah. th- this guy's this guy's a legit fight fan. Like yeah, he, nice. he's, he's going to be coming for my job. He's got the looks to be an analyst <laughs> already. So you know, Ryan, uh, tread lightly. I got to pay my rent. <laughs> I'll stay away from now. You tell me when you retire, I'll come back. In. There <laughs> we go. It's good talking to you, man. And we'd love to have you back on again. And uh, you know, good luck with your fight in June. If we don't talk to you beforehand, it was it was definitely fun getting to know you. Yes, sir. You guys got you guys have a great day. All right. So this was fun, man. I really appreciate you uh, jumping in for for Matt. I'm sure Matt appreciates it too, because uh, 
you know, he's he's out with Dana and uh, he might be gone all week. So thank you very much, TJ. This was a lot of fun. No, it's my pleasure, Jim. Anytime uh, you'll have me back, I'd love to come back. Yeah, we definitely and we'll even do it when Matt's here, too. So all three of us will just hang. That'd be great. And um, all right. Yeah. Don't forget to watch uh, UFC 262 this Saturday night. Uh, Chandler Oliveira. And of course, uh, Darius Ferguson is the uh, co-main. What a great co-main event that is. Um, I, I We pick fights once in a while, but it's like, uh, I find myself, dude, no matter how, first of all, it's hard when I know or like both guys. Right. It's difficult. And then it's like, whenever I pick a fight, no matter what's happening, I start rooting for my pick because I picked. It's like, who gives a fuck? But I start rooting for my pick and I hate that because yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll like root for a guy who's doing poorly against a guy who's has a huge upset. And I'm like, what, what am I doing? So I can be right. I, I think combat sports are inherently different from all other sports, because if you're truly just a fight fan, you don't have to have a vested rooting interest. You can just sit back and yeah. enjoy the entire thing. And that's what I like most about this sport is I don't need to have, you know, skin in the game right. to care. And uh, more often than not, if I do, uh, you know, lean one way or the other, Jim, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm like, son of a bitch. I, I think I'm seeing this through a different lens. When I like somebody a lot, I get really nervous watching them fight because I like them and they're people right. I know, or I've been, you know, it's like, I don't want to see them get beat up or hurt. You don't want to see somebody you like, like watching Weidman. I mean, I, we, I love Uriah as well, but watching Weidman right. hurt himself like that was awful. So yeah, I almost wish I didn't know any of them. You know what I mean? I almost wish I had never talked to any of them. Uh, Cause then it wouldn't, wouldn't feel bad rooting against them, but you know, they're all such nice people. Yeah. Unfortunately, someone's got to lose on fight night. They do. Um, well, it's good talking to you, man. This was a lot of fun. And thank you, of course, to Ryan Guzman, Tony Ferguson, Michael Chandler as well. Really good, busy show. And TJ, man, really, really fun to having you. No, my pleasure. Uh, I would love it if people would check out Extra Rounds. Uh, it's our uh, pre- and post-fight show. We do it uh, Wednesdays uh, live at 5 uh, on the UFC Fight Pass Facebook page. That's 5 Pacific. Uh, you can also check it out anytime uh, on demand on UFC Fight Pass. And uh, we'll also be live immediately following the UFC 262 pay-per-view. Uh, I believe it's going to be me and Ray Longo coming up on Saturday night. Oh, so nice. uh, excited to talk to Ray. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. This episode is brought to you by Paycor, the HR and payroll software made for leaders. It's never been harder to recruit, hire, and engage workers. That's why HR leaders and frontline managers depend on Paycor for all things people management, from onboarding and performance reviews to compensation and benefits. Learn more at Paycor.com slash leaders. That's P-A-Y-C-O-R dot com slash leaders. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.